Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Readier Room, not to be confused with Literary Treks. Ours is the only Star Trek TNG rewatch podcast with actual on-set insights from those who are there to see the magic happen back in the 80s at Paramount Studios. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant of Services, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs, former head of resources management. Brandon, how are we doing this week, finest of all weeks? Wow, we're doing doing great, Mitch. Um, we've got a particularly interesting episode to talk about this week. We do. I am, uh, always very excited to talk about episodes, but when they're interesting, it's even more exciting. And it is. That's true. But before we get into that, we have to honor tradition and protocol, gotta follow proto, and get to this week's question of the week, which comes oh. from, uh, somebody on Twitter, actually, sent in, uh the question this time this comes from user uh cream me up scotty on twitter and cream me up asks of all the alien species in the next generation that are not quote-unquote just humans so i assume he means like um uh like that episode where, where all the beautiful people dressed in white that were just they're aliens but they are still human beings essentially yeah well I, or i mean does, does this does this include you know uh a bipedal uh uh aliens with with prosthetics i assume that they are fair game oh okay okay um so he asks of all the alien species in tng that are not just humans which species is the most erotic he asks which I thought was erotic. erotic, which I thought was a very, very interesting question, um, as they all tend to be. But more importantly, I thought that this was almost uh, the perfect question for you to answer. I, I read this and I'm like, that's a Brandon question. I, I right Yeah, there. I mean, I, I, I have kept lists um, about this kind of thing for quite a while. Uh, I think that's I think that's really the thing that attracted me to Star Trek in the first place. You know, going back to the original series is just um the sexuality of the aliens right right this uh, watching star trek with a from a sexuality perspective opens up the show in a lot of ways uh, something yeah and I, I learned from you right right i i will say that um watching kirk you know make out with the very attractive romulan woman in that one episode kind of did something to me it awakened something in me mm-hmm. um that it can never be put back to sleep. Um, Hence the decades but, of further study. Right, right. Um, in any case, we're not talking about the original series, right? We're talking about TNG here. Right, specifically TNG. And, yeah. Um, so I guess... I guess I want to start out uh, asking, uh, you know, kind of a, a question response here. That's, you know, is it... Is it that the aliens themselves display erotic behavior or that the aliens are pleasant to look at from an audience perspective? Well, let me bring up the tweet real quick and uh, let me scroll through, scroll, scroll. It's 
what he says is, of the alien species, which is the most erotic? So it's not quite clear what he meant. I would think, my impression of the question would be, um, which uh, seems like the most erotic society? Like, not, not which is the most aesthetically appealing or sexy right. alien, but right. which of their customs and, and their laws and how they interact with other aliens and themselves involves the most eroticism. Yeah. So um, I'm going to give you an answer, Mitch, that, that may seem a little bit boring, um, oh, okay. but it's actually, it actually really neatly ties into this episode. Uh, I'm going to say the Klingons. Okay. And uh, that's because um, it seems even, you know, mundane activities can be considered sex in Klingon culture. Um, such as a male and a female standing on the bridge of a starship and screaming at each other. Yeah, the definition yeah. of of sex in Klingon society is uh seems to be pretty wide. Yeah, um, and you know that's that's why I would consider them to be the most erotic because they're erotic almost all the time mm. uh, to each other. Mm. Um, so yeah, there you go. I mean, I, I think case closed on that one. I, I agree. I think it's um, having heard your answer, it makes a lot of sense to me, because you think of like Klingons, famous Klingons throughout history, and they're just beings of raw, you know, sexual magnetism. Um, right, right. It's really hard to get away from that for the Klingons. Yeah, and who who wouldn't want to be ravaged by a Klingon? Exactly, you know? exactly. It's um, it's something we can all enjoy. So, excellent yeah, question. Yeah. Excellent uh, thank question. you, um, Cream Me Up, Scotty. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and I want to remind everybody, like like Cream Me Up uh, utilized here, It's you don't you can ask us questions not just through our email, which, by the way, is the readyroom at gmail.com, capital T, capital R, capital R, um, but also through our other channels, such as Twitter. Leave a comment on the YouTube videos. We can uh, field your questions from there. And... Uh, we're always we're always pulling you guys for whatever great and interesting thoughts come through your mind. So please do not be shy. Okay, so that will do that for this week's question of the week, which brings us to the episode of the week. And I've been trying really hard to um, keep my mind straight. This is the ninth episode of Star yes. Trek: The Next Generation, um, called Q and Seek. And it's um, a Q episode, as the title would imply. Um, yeah, with, with... Um, it, it really, uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out what uh, you know what what phrase they were they were trying to play off of here. Um, I mean, obviously it's hide and seek, but it doesn't really rhyme, does it? No, I it might be like hide and seek and destroy, maybe. And they just left the the latter third of that. To be employed, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to think a little bit. It's Star Trek's an intellectual show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do have to be somewhat smart to enjoy this show, right? And such as having heard of hide and seek, and right, seek and destroy. <laughs> yeah. So it's title aside. Um, if I'm not gonna judge the episode by its title, the book by its cover, because if I did that, I don't think any of the Q episodes would ever be good. Um. But, well, I don't, I don't know if I should tip my hand on this one, how I felt about this episode. 
Oh, you want to keep it secret? Well, I just I like having things that I know and you don't know. I I I, I get that. I get that. Well, I mean, I'm just gonna go ahead and say, um, not not a really solid episode. I guess I'll join you on that one. It's it's another really like good concept that's just muddled down by baffling decisions. Yeah. Uh, mostly in the mostly in the dialogue, honestly. Yeah, the dialogue in this episode is um, uniquely bizarre, is how I would categorize it. But I don't know if I even loved the premise of it all that much. Um, I guess, I guess, once I get away from how the writing handles the premise, I can give it more credit. But to me, this episode just has a lot of uh, really um, ill-fitting character moments. Uh, largely due to the nature of its premise. and uh, um, I wouldn't say it's the nature of its premise, though. I, I think this could have been done without those bizarre character moments. And I, I think, yeah, a, a good, you know, three or four characters just feel completely off here. Yeah, uh, but, but one of those characters is, is the one who, uh, around whom the plot revolves, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm tempted to blame the premise for that because to, to execute what they were going for with like the, the character drama in this episode, they basically just had to uh, take the principal character and, and backstab him and replace him with some kind of, you know, lookalike uh, that's just doesn't act the same at all. But we're speaking in a lot of vagaries, so we might as well get into the actual details. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's start with our with our famous um, summarizing of the episode. It's it's the our most bountiful milk. Uh, yeah, I mean it's, it's the most something. valuable thing we provide here. Yeah, is, is summarizing the episode for our audience that's yeah. just watched the episode. I like to think of our podcast as TNG for the blind. So if mm-hmm. you could not watch TNG through some kind of visual impairment. We're there to provide you with those details. It's all about accessibility and uh, neurodiversity amongst right, right. Which, the crowd. That's important. That's important. And I, you know, also if you if you watch the episode and couldn't really understand it, we're here to you know take it a step back and kind of walk you through it. Exactly. Exactly. So to to start with that, this episode begins with Doctor Crusher. And what a doctor is, is somebody who is tasked with minding other people's health and injuries. So in case you didn't understand that concept. Um, But it's cool because we see Dr. Crusher doing like doctorly things at the very beginning of this episode. She's like leading a team and they're all worried about these, um, I don't know if they're refugees, but some colony that's facing a disaster and needs like medical assistance. And Dr. Crusher's actually doing something instead of just looking at people with uh, stupid props in, in, in the infirmary, you know? And I think it's like the first yeah, time we see yeah. that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the first time we see her, we see her like doing her job independent of the plot, I think. Right, that's a good way of putting it. And I don't know, I appreciated not, that from the get-go. Uh, yeah, she's not out to, you know, like, like bring someone back to life. Or um, failed to develop a, a simple vaccine, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I, I can see why you would appreciate that. For once. Yeah, she's she's competent, yeah, you know, in and of herself, um, which which is nice. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it does. 
I do want to. I do want to note, <laughs> however, that uh, b- before before we even see Crusher, we get that throwaway line about um, about uh, Marina's character not being in the episode. Right. 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 So um, it's um, it's basically there was very little faith going on that if people didn't see Counselor Troy, they would be you know shrugging their shoulders and screaming up into the heavens, "Where's Troy?" So we needed to right. Needed to explain. As they should be. As they should yeah. be. Yeah. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that this this was almost a last minute kind of thing in that uh, Marina was not supposed to be absent from this episode. It was totally unintended. No, no. In a- because mm. it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be that Denise's character was going to be the one who was, you know, away from the ship this episode for obvious reasons. Right. Obvious behind the scenes reasons. Um. But <laughs> no one noticed this um, until, you know, the, the first day of filming. Gene walks on the set, and uh, he was obviously a little little pissed off that Denise was, was standing there, um, and Marina was not. And uh, it turns out in the end that um, the script actually had their characters reversed, and right. Gene did not catch this in his editing, because Gene was the one who ultimately uh, finished off the editing for this script. He, mm-hmm. he made a lot of changes to it, you know, at the last minute. Um, he did not switch the two characters back, you know. Um, so that's how we ended up with, with uh, you know, uh, Yar being in this episode and it Troy not being. Which ultimately creates a lot of strange, even more strange dialogue than uh, what we mentioned earlier. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Yar's you do presence. see that. You do. You, you do, do see that because you get, you get a very strange Yar scene. Uh, within like I don't know maybe the first 15 20 minutes of the episode um, which we'll which get it doesn't to. really make any sense yeah yeah we'll get to it it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense no um, but if you imagine I will it say as... though, oh yeah I, I was just gonna say I will say that Denise was very happy to be uh, to be on this this, this episode well, when uh, when she, Troy was not she would be right yeah knowing her but I I can't say that I blame everybody for especially Gene for not really noticing until it was too late and everybody was already there um that the the names had not been switched accordingly because you know we have our call sheets and when people are due actors are due for certain shoots and by this point everybody had kind of grown accustomed to mentally tuning out uh denise's presence on on these sheets because you mm-hmm. know nobody was ever all that excited to work with her so right that kind of like mental um safeguard backfired in this case where if we had been more alert we would have been like wait that's not supposed to be like that especially gene would have uh caught that and nipped it in the bud but that's not how it shook out and this is the reality we got to live with yeah yeah it's uh it's a little bit embarrassing but you know Mm. we got over it i would not blame the viewer for not getting over it and and viewing it as, as a big detraction detractor from this episode <laughs> it is a bit of a detractor uh but yes we'll we'll get to that anyway <laughs> um so uh continuing past crusher's opening well that's, uh, where do we go from there so the, the the whole point of crusher's opening is to establish this like urgency that the enterprise is on this mission to go help these people and deliver them aid and they're like rushing off to to do that asap when they see the same big digital net floating in space that they saw in the very first episode in Encounter at Farpoint. Right. 
Right. Uh, literally just exact same scene. Right. Which I don't really get the point of that thing, like that barrier um, that, that Q can just put up in space. It seems very low tech for for somebody like him. And what I mean is that it's like when when you use a net to catch fish, you kind of do that because you don't really you can't just like reach in and grab the fish, right? It's going to elude you. You got to trap it in a net. And yeah. uh it takes a lot of space to do that and the fish can maneuver around in the net, but mostly it's fine. And like Q's doing this as if he can't just stop the Enterprise in its tracks in an instant, you know? Yeah, like, and what... that's the thing. I mean, just, just by virtue of the net having a physical presence in the world, uh, it is it is inherently low-tech. Exactly. And this this is, like, another flavor of the recurring issue I have with Q, and I'll continue to have throughout this episode, is the... How how his uh, omnipotence or omnipresence is often at odds with how he's his characterization and how he's written. Yeah, he's he's a very convenient character, and uh, I was I was kind of gonna gonna say the same thing in that I love Q and I love Delancey's performance as Q, but um, eventually you as a viewer do high, you have to grapple with the fact that you're dealing with an omniscient uh character who also throws temper tantrums for some reason yeah you know it doesn't really doesn't really jive with its its itself at he, all he throws temper tra- tantrums when he's thwarted by a being that can't even fully comprehend his plane of existence <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 thwarted, like thwarted is like a thwarted is a, a generous word too Right, because usually if Q ends up getting bored or something and, and you know goes away, um, you know he's Q himself is contextualizing it as a loss. Exactly, he's making these rules for himself and then gets mad. Q is only um, allowed to feel inferior because he gives his consent to doing so. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so it's it's just it's so bizarre to me, and honestly, um, if not for Delancey's performance as Q. Uh, it would it would have just been absolutely awful. Just a terrible idea. They should have never made this character to begin with. See, I don't um, I don't love his performance so much. I think he gets stronger and um, more consistent and handled better as the show goes on. But in these earlier episodes, I I can't call it anything but just ridiculous. I think he's already so much better than he was at Farpoint yeah but i still don't think it's in the realm of anything good um i don't know i don't agree with that i don't agree with that i don't find john delancey to be all that charismatic of a of a screen presence i guess well i think i think your your opinion might be colored by what we had to go through with it but yes that's true you can never separate um the art from the artist unfortunately yeah not 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 when you're that close to them no Um, definitely not but it's it's all just kind of hokey i think the q stuff it's yeah i love that it works i I think it's holding up really well when it works i think it works in spite of itself where you're kind of like you kind of (laughs) chuckle and give like an eye roll and you're like all right all right 
<laughs> no, I, I really, I really think it's, uh, I, I think Q, I think Delancey is a, is a highlight. And anytime a Q episode comes up, I'm excited to see him. I mean, the, uh, the little exchange they have on the bridge at the beginning of this episode where, where, uh, Picard says something like, oh, you seized my vessel. And, uh, and, and Q just responds back to him and repeats it over and over. Seized my vessel, seized my vessel. I just thought it was the funniest thing. I don't know. It's funnier to me hearing you recap that. Um, <laughs> now, I didn't dislike that scene by any means, so I'm not trying to, to shit on that specifically. But it it didn't strike me as, as humorous as apparently it did with you. Yeah, um, I don't know. I thought it was funny. It's... it's it, Q... My opinion of Q scenes can really run the whole gamut. Sometimes it's for, like actively good, especially later on, as I, as I intimated before. Sometimes it's just fine, and I have no problem with it. And sometimes it's like really bad. And these the parts where I think it's really bad are usually where like Q's getting his comeuppance and he's throwing these temper tantrums. Um, yeah, those are the scenes where I it all kind of falls apart for me because I think like the arrogance that a lot of the other scenes are predicated upon, like the arrogance from Q, needs to be maintained. Um, to uh really enjoy that character like i I, q is not a character i want to see get come up get his comeuppance um all that often no it's kind of defeats the point so we go in like these cycles where we have these fun q moments and you know he's kind of ramping up and he's being mischievous oh and he gets comeuppance and acts like a complete moron child and we cycle back to the beginning where it's like all right i'm kind of done with q for for now and then he comes back and i give him another shot and he fucks it up again we go back to the start and it's the need to have like these these villains of the week and just neatly finish off their story so it's like of course the enterprise has to win somebody has to win and of course that's to be the enterprise crew Whereas you can't, God forbid, you do a more nuanced story where it's these two forces aren't directly antagonistic to one another, and it's it has more layers than that. But in the early seasons, that's just not at all what what they were going for with the Q stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, eventually, what what it what it does become is just Q ends up being written like a child with. Um with god powers he's like that episode of the twilight zone where that that kid has like control yeah. over the whole town that's exactly what it is and if if the background of his character was written like that if he wasn't an omniscient godlike being i think that would have been fine it would have been yeah. or, or like don't don't write the the normal scenes of him being like kind of a witty uh knowledgeable arrogant guy like rewrite those scenes to better fit the potential of this person to go and have a temper tantrum you know Mm -hmm. um you got to make these things connect somehow but this i I mentioned before about the nature of the enterprise's uh interactions with q and how they're they're antagonistic and there's a winner this episode in particular really really pissed me not pissed me off but it really annoyed me about that because they could have handled this exact plot line with this exact premise with a lot more nuance that paid respect to the characters and more or less accomplished the same thing without needing to resort to basically melodrama 
in the end of, of Q's demise and comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. The really the the whole script was just really poor. I think. Yes. Uh, Conceptually, and like I said, it did it, it, it did go through several, 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 several rewrites. Uh, to the point that I think the the original guy who rewrote it um, didn't even want his name attached to it. I I I am blanking on his name right now. Well, reasonable so, considering he was, it, he it's not attached to it. He was yeah, he was he was around a lot. So I I God I can't remember his name. I'll, I'll it'll come to me at some point. We'll be talking but, about and, and, uh, an episode next week, and you're like, I got it. It, it was yeah. Richard Kane. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Well, I you know he and he and Gene were not on speaking terms after this episode for quite a while. So it's easy to see why. Um, yeah. One of the more bizarre moments, which I'm not going to attribute to the writing because. Well, I'll get to it in a moment. Is Q's first manifestation onto the bridge because he shows up once they put that energy net down, and with the first yeah the first moment we see Q, he's depicted as like three snakes coming out of an energy hole of some sort. Yeah, and I totally didn't even remember this, you know, because obviously we're on set, we're not watching these special effects, <laughs> right? Um, you know, I can't remember the last time I had watched this episode. It must have been 15, 20 years ago, you know, somewhere around there. So watching this again, that, that really took me by surprise. The, uh, the the three snakes in place of Q. Yeah. Very bizarre. They they put in like a really rushed fix-it line about like, oh, um, you saw me as the serpent from this alien planet. Like he references it being some alien species. But um, mm. that was all hastily thrown together at at the 11th hour because what was shot and what we see are very different that effect was more or less superimposed onto footage that we had to cover up what we had initially shot so I, long time red ears out there will know um how john delancey has a has a bit of a penchant for choosing his own costumes it's just showing up yeah. in various um attire that we end up having to roll with that explains all the dramatic and strange Q looks that we've seen so far, such as you, know, you see some new ones in this episode, like the monk or the French admiral <laughs> or marshal. Right. And um, initially, when Delancey came on the set, he was in a costume that was very out there, a little too offensive, I think, for primetime television especially on a network network television yeah i you know the that, that was i think all of our jaws dropped when we saw it yeah when we when he came on set wearing that and we filmed it we filmed it and we definitely recorded the dialogue which we were able to use those recordings over this new special effect to simulate yeah yeah that scene and it's i don't want to say the details of it. If you want the details, uh, John Delancey's live journal has his autobiographical take of his time on Star Trek, and uh, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll let you give him the the traffic to go find out the answer to that. But it was we had it, Gene had to have a talk with him afterwards. It's like you know, John, I get it. You know, you're an actor, you're creative. I really value your input. That's why we had you back. But you can't do this again. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely not. And yeah, um, it would have been a disaster. 
Yeah, I and I think for once it, that was like the one time that the John was contained uh, just a little bit. You know, usually he, <laughs> he did not respond well to to that kind of direction from from anybody, let let alone uh, Gene. But yeah, I think I think he knew. You know, our artists can have that that tone about them where they're like, all right, I'm gonna do something wild, I'm gonna try something new, but. To say that John Delancey did not have self-awareness, I think that would be incorrect. And this is one of those moments yeah. where it's shown through. Yeah, it's, he was just always pushing the envelope, you know, as any good artist does. Exactly. But I think I think the takeaway message here is that the original footage does exist out there somewhere. So if someone can find it, yeah, um, you know, be my guest. Upload that to YouTube. Let's see it. Maybe, it's been a long time. Maybe we can release the Delancey cut. Of, yeah, that would be nice, huh? Of hide and cue. I think this episode would be somewhere around two or three hours if we did that. It would be a joy, and I th- it would be an opportunity to appreciate the craft of uh, yeah. of the actor. Yeah, it's, it's really. So, uh, <laughs> Delancey comes not Delancey Q <laughs> comes onto the Enterprise, <laughs> and um, he has a bit of a different outlook this time. He comes in saying that the Q continuum, his people, are now extremely interested in humanity given the outcome of their previous encounter at Farpoint. Um, and nice. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, because of that, Q now seeks to test humanity in like a, in a bit of a different way. He he says he wants to like play a game, which I guess is the inspiration for the title. But, yeah, although they don't, they don't really play hide and seek. <laughs> that was that would be very enjoyable to watch, <laughs> but unfortunately, no, that's not what happens. <laughs> although, um, but yeah, so they, they they do. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go, you go, you got it. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I get to go. I, I get to I get to say my piece. You do. I was just going to continue our I was just going to continue our summary here. So if you have something important to say, then by all means. I've never had anything important to say in my life. All right, so they play a game. They play a game, and they they're transported down to uh, another another OG Trek planet, right? I I've been calling it uh, Planet Soundstage. Um, yeah, it's because it's very it, uh, obviously just a very cheap set. Yeah, that kind of looks like garbage. It's just a bunch of the, plastic rocks and uh, green, green, the green sky. Yeah. So you um, you may not have noticed this, but uh, the version we're watching, you know, for for the audience, we're watching the uh, HD re-release of the Next Generation, uh, which we've never watched before, obviously. Um, in this episode, the rocks are actually CG. This is blowing my mind. Yeah, so they they redid this entire planet in the HD re-release because originally, um, what we did was, you know, you remember we shot the the, the foreground rocks mm. um, completely independently of the actors. So those were just layered on top of uh, the actors in the background, right? Right. But in this HD re-release. What they did was they just completely took those out and put HD or, or CGI rocks in. Now I want to go uh, and back it, and freeze frame on the rocks. You you have to. It looks completely different. It's wild. Huh. 
<laughs> I didn't and pick up on that when I was watching it. It actually looks a lot better than it did originally. Uh, so as bad as it looks now, imagine that just, you know, two times worse, at least. And that's how bad the original set looked and the original episode looked. Well, a full two times worse. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. That's double worse. Um, it's double worse. So it's... I'll, I'll forgive the, the look of the set, um, cheap as it may be, because I don't think that's what's the most very important here. Um, it's They're trying to do a bunch of like more character drama than action on this, so it's whatever. But when they come down, they come down to this planet explicitly, uh, as Q says, to play a game. But... It, the rules of engagement on this game are never exactly clear. The The purpose of why anybody's there is not clear to them. Obviously, the, the audience pieces it together, but it doesn't fit the way it's set up um, as any kind of intellectual, ethical, or emotional challenge for anybody. It's um, It's just... Q being whimsical, which, you know, fits Q, I suppose, but it, it didn't make it at all compelling, especially when they introduced this concept of, like, rules and penalty boxes, and you're like, okay, I guess um, <laughs> people have to be really careful, and then they're like, no, we'll just do really whatever we want without paying any mind to this, and nothing will come of it. Um, yeah. Nothing will come of it except an extremely awkward scene. <laughs> <laughs> which we'll get to. <laughs> um, so so we see Q here, and he's drenched. He can't talk today, Mitch. Dressed as a, uh, a a French marshal. Yeah, like an old military uniform. Yeah, um, obviously one of Delancey's picks, so mm. we had to kind of write around that and shoot around that. I will say he looks uh, good in it. Might be why he chose it. Yeah, oh, he was he was he was very dapper, I have to say, very charismatic. And uh, he sits down with Riker, gives everyone drinks, uh, which uh, Worf does not accept. Yeah, it's Klingon culture to not drink with one's enemy. Yeah, yeah. Um, which you would think that everyone else might be as suspicious, but no. No, they Riker all drink sits it. down, drinks the mystery liquid, See, um, which tastes like. Uh, Lemonade. 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 What what they never answer, and what was the most compelling thing to me was what was Data's most desired drink at that point? Because they're like, yeah. oh, oh we'll yeah. give you guys exactly what you want right now, and Data has a drink too, and it, there's no line about like, oh, this this motor oil is delicious or whatever. So uh, who knows what it could have been? I'm shocked that wasn't a question of the week. Oh well, maybe God. it will be next week because they hadn't seen this episode yet. It's true. It's, uh... But it won't be now, because we already went over it. <laughs> what a journey the past ten seconds have been. <laughs> um, so, basically, what they have to do is survive. That's, that's, what, that's what the crew has to do, is survive. Yeah, objective survive. Um, yeah, objective survive. And um, you'll, you'll see that, that Yar gets immediately pen penalty boxed. Um, because from, she objects to it, right? Yeah, she just kind of like makes a, uh, um, a proclamation. She's just like, "This is uh -huh. bullshit," 
and then bam, yeah. you're donezo. Yeah, I mean, she's made an example of, basically. Um, and that doesn't really go anywhere. At all. And uh, At all, at all. And, you know, the reason for that is um, this is actually kind of just a half-baked uh, mid-production rewrite here. Hmm. Um, because originally she was going to get killed by Q because you know, the, the whole conceit of it is if if she gets sent to the penalty box and the others refuse to play the game, she will get killed. Right. All right. And this was originally going to happen. The crew was originally going to object again, and she would get killed. And that was the end of Yar. Like, that was how Yar was going to exit the series. Um, and again, this, this, was mid this was a very last-minute decision. I think someone just got a little fed up. Um, but unfortunately, the writers couldn't get this to work, believably, without making the crew just look, you know, Murderous. either irresponsible or just, like, you know, not good at their jobs you know you know what i mean right because they um, they should want to save um tasha yeah. yar whatever the thoughts they, of the actors put that aside right, the characters right. should want to save her yes the characters are woefully ignorant um and and would want to save yar so mm. um we luckily had the privilege of continuing to work with denise for several more episodes after this yeah and um she was was thrilled with the turn of events. She kind of had her, you know, one of her very many uh, Emmy moments in in acting yeah. this scene opposite the card <laughs> when she's in the penalty box, um, which the penalty box is just apparently the bridge of the Enterprise, which Hugh sets up as being like, well, only one person can be in the penalty box, and if somebody else is sent there, then the first person is going to get, uh, they're going to be wiped from existence to make room for the new person. And then you cut to the penalty box, and there's already two people in there. And Picard's in there. Yeah, so, okay, here's something. This is what I didn't get, because when she gets sent to the bridge, your thought as the audience is, oh, Q is just lying. Right. Like, he's just, like, he, he, she just got sent back to the bridge. She's safe. It's, it's a lie. Um, and you would think that upon seeing Captain Picard, Yar would think that was a lie, too. She's not in the penalty box. She's back on the Enterprise. But then she tells Picard that she's going to die because she's in the penalty box. Right. And everything from that moment on is only serving to legitimize the threat. Um, none of the characters ever breach the idea that, that, Q, that Q is lying or that the danger here is not as uh, apparent as it, might, as it might have been before. And mm -hmm. it, it's, it is confusing to me as a viewer because once you take that route okay we're going to be more dramatic and we're having the scene of Tasha Yar crying it's a very dramatic um, a lot of melodrama the quality of the acting aside and while you're doing this you're peppering all of the dialogue with such a ridiculous term as penalty box like <laughs> it's you can't it, I, you can't really ask me to emotionally invest in characters crying about the penalty box because it's it's just so inherently ridiculous it sounds like timeout right it's it's you know it's fine if q says that because q always says kind of like overly flamboyant dramatic things you know that that is right. something he would right. say but yeah would, would tasha yar use that term in in the throes of her desperation or faced with her death probably not 
would, would no, Picard penalty box would Picard console her by saying that you know as captain I approve of crying in the penalty box or tears are permitted tears are permitted in the penalty box like what the hell <laughs> uh really um an unpleasant scene all around it's worth rewatching just to see every dramatic attempt that Denise Crosby makes throughout the scene because <laughs> it's very clearly like I you know I I took a an online course of dramatic acting and yeah no, she's a terrible actress it's so bad it's really bad and a lot of the TNG uh, cast are not great actors um yeah oh for sure it maybe it might just be Patrick Stewart that's pretty good but um most of them are not written to have scenes like this they 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 mm -hmm. know that they take better they make better use of of the of the cast than by writing this melodrama and this this right. the scene adds nothing to the episode because it's not a denise or it's not a yar episode she doesn't have an arc um yeah that's the last we really see of her right because as i was saying before this penalty box thing doesn't pan out it doesn't really serve to remain as a motivator for the people who are playing the game never again do they mention the possibility of <laughs> of, of yar dying and in fact yeah. um towards the end of their time on that on that little planet q induces them to play the game without really needing their consent like he just sends a bunch of soldiers to come after them and it's like yeah you, you don't yeah. really have um a choice in in participating in this so the whole penalty box thing just doesn't it never made sense it's it's totally confusing and it creates what might be the worst scene so far of star trek next generation <laughs> for sure yeah uh really really confusing stuff um and then and then q just appears on the bridge yeah uh, suddenly um and, and and talks to talks to picard um he tells he tells Picard that he's going to give Riker uh, uh, something that's impossible to refuse. Yes. I and, you know, what, what are the things that, that Riker would find impossible to refuse, right? Maybe like a harem of women. Right. Uh, you know. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's God powers, apparently. It's Q powers. You know, that, that, that one undeniable facet of Riker's personality is that he really wants to have God powers. So... How do we feel about, uh, I'm sorry, about Q having this conversation with Picard in the first place? Because insofar as the events of the story, it doesn't really do anything other than to inform the audience what Q's intentions are. And yeah, no, this is still like filler. It, it is. And it the only meaningful thing it accomplishes is creating this wager between Picard and Q that I don't think Q has very much reason to accept. Other than just, you know, arrogance, which, you know, fine, I buy it. He's an arrogant guy, even if he kind of shouldn't be. Um, but, yeah, it it has that filler uh, quality to it. Yeah, and uh, we're also treated to some, you know, um, typical of TNG, just disgusting quoting of Shakespeare for no reason um, to seem intellectual, I that, guess. That was another one of the temper tantrum moments, like... 
Yeah. Q's yeah. reading Shakespeare, and he's like, oh, Picard, you moron, you have this book, but I bet you never read it. And Picard's like, actually, I have read it. And then Q just, like, flips out and throws the book at him. It's like, no way. How dare you? Yeah. And and here's here's another thing. Why would Q find Shakespeare at all interesting? Right. It's, at all. It's not like... Um, the philosophy contained therein is going to be mind shattering to an omnipotent, omniscient being. Right. And even if human philosophy could be mind shattering, it definitely wouldn't be found in Shakespeare. No. Like the bottom of the barrel Shakespeare. Shakespeare literally written for, for the common man. Yeah. Not, not anything like super heady. Right. And yeah, you know, this is this is just a reflection of, I guess, society where, you know, we've, we've kind of propped up Shakespeare to be something more than he he was. Mm. Um, and uh, TNG constantly uses it to, uh, I don't know, appeal to its audience in some way. Oh, I'm not sure what Picard is cultured. He likes Shakespeare. Yeah, right. right. I, um, it, it's just so blatant. It's it, so pandering. I can't stand it. I think the stupidest part was at the beginning of that exchange where um, Q says something like, oh, you know, Shakespeare, he said, all the galaxy is a stage. And Picard's like, all the world's a stage, you moron. Like, how did you get that <laughs> wrong? And that's a good question. Like, how did Q read this and then remember it incorrectly? Like, that should be <laughs> below him. <laughs> yeah, he's just read it. Right. It's, it's... I, I know that this is like such a minor thing, but um, it all comes back to Q's characterization of what they're trying to do with this character. And if you want somebody so fallible as to, um, you know, forget something they read 20 seconds ago, then <laughs> don't try to establish them as all powerful. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's at odds with himself for sure. And it conflicts with like the message of the episode where. It's like, oh, you know, the Q continuum's all-knowing, but they don't know about the human factor in, in the equation. Like, oh, humanity's mm -hmm. so special or whatever. But it's like, it's not really that. It's more of just the Q continuum is apparently a bunch of incompetent um, blowhards. <laughs> yeah, they just suck at what they do. Right. I mean, I guess I guess they're explained by the galaxies not controlled by them. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so then, then we, we we cut back down to the planet's surface, right? And uh, the the soldiers you you were talking about, Worf is doing reconnaissance on them, which was and, some great uh, physical acting from Michael Dorn. Really beautiful. <laughs> uh, and and uh, you know, we first see them from a distance, and you know, they look like normal soldiers, and then Worf gets up right up close to them, and they're like these weird pig monkey things, right? And they're snorting and um, like just dribbling around. Yeah, yeah, just just being as disgusting as possible. Um, and obviously something the audience isn't going to know here is that uh, in the original script, the original, original script, these were just normal people. Uh, you know, they were going to be dressed up as French soldiers, right? Hmm. Um, oh, I guess the French thing came later, but they, they, they were meant to, you know, eventually, you know, they eventually became these French soldiers that would attack the crew uh, on that planet, you right. know. In line with Delancey's um, French Marshal, but they uniform. didn't have like masks and prosthetics and whatnot to be these monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically the point. They weren't monstrous, right? Um, I mean, the issue is we, for quite some time by that point, had been receiving just a deluge of 
uh, I guess, fan mail, um, complaining about Picard's French patriotism, right? Right. Um, we, we've commented on this quite a few times um, as something that you don't see a lot later. Um, and that's because at some point this issue made its way up to Gene, um, and that point was with this episode. Right. And uh, I guess he, he pretty much agreed with that, the sentiment. And um, he, was, he was a little pissed off, I guess, that Picard was being written that way to begin with. Uh, with with that you know that 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 French um, aspect to his character, mm. so this episode he he personally goes to the costume designers and he tells them to just make these guys as disgusting as possible, just grotesque, you know. Um, and I I remember him not being super satisfied with the end result. He, he thought it was still like just a little too conservative, but I I know. think he wanted them to have more of like a frog monster look. Yeah, it, which would make sense, right? Right. Um, but I I don't think he really explained that well enough. I'm not sure. Um, well, you know how it is. A I, lot of times Gene makes a demand of you on set and you're like, all right, Gene, I got it. And then you just kind of like file that one away and go about your business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I do want to bring attention to speaking of uh, just stupid things being said in this episode. The number of times people say animal things. In reference to these... Um, yeah. yeah. Did you pick up on that? I did not pick up on it as being obtrusive to my experience, but I suppose you're right. It's a very commonly used phrase. It's very stupid. Um, I think, God, I can't remember who says it. I know, I know Denise says it, or I think Denise says it mm. at some point. Um, Riker says it. You know, I, it's, it's just, it's all over the place. Yeah. That's the only way they refer to these things, is as animal things. It is weird, given the fact that they regularly encounter um, alien species that could more accurately be described as animal things than these guys. Yeah, we saw that a couple episodes ago with with the two delegates. Those were definitely animal things. And they're always respectful of them, you know? They're like, um, you know, the Talarians, whatever their name of their species is. They don't call them, like, animal things behind their back. But yeah. I guess because they're associated with Q in this uh, this time, they lose all respect for them, and they're just things now. They're things. They're things. I will say, though, that th- these animal things and the, the French uh, slant to them leads to what I think is the most legitimately funny moment of Star Trek so far, TNG. Um, I, I actually laughed sincerely at this. Uh, the the crew eventually comes back to the Enterprise, and they're reporting to Picard on what happened. And they're like, "Oh, we met these soldiers." And Picard's like, "Soldiers? What were they like?" And and Data st- starts to say something, and he's like, "Um, actually, sir, I think you would find this aesthetically displeasing. So I'll just write a report on it." And um, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I actually found that to be pretty funny. Which yeah, I I made a note of that too. Um, it was funny. It was funny. I, I I'm not sure if I thought it was. I thought more that it was funny or more that it was kind of out of place, but it was funny. It was. Um, it's a rare like, in intentionally humorous data line from season one that is actually humorous. Actually funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. So, 
so what the the crew gets attacked by by the the, the pig French monsters, right? Oh. Who are not carrying muskets but laser muskets, right? For some reason, uh, to up the stakes, I suppose it's it's kind of like the the Ferengi pool noodle electric whip school of, right. of space weaponry. But it starts off with them just. Oh my god, I, this was really dumb, by the way. So it starts off with Worf doing reconnaissance work, like we said. Um, and then he comes back and reports his findings. And Riker has this idea, like, wait, if they just have muskets and we have phasers, then we'll just have an easy victory. So I'm going to test out my phaser on this rock and make a large explosion just to test right. if Q disabled our phasers or not. And it's that you know, recklessly stupid moment that draws the attention of the soldiers to create some kind of conflict between the two of them. It's like... Yeah, so no reason to do reconnaissance at all. Like, Worf should have been pissed when he got back. Exactly. Because Riker blows up a rock and Worf, like, pounces. He's like, all right, drop your weapon, whoever you are, you know. And um, just had no idea what Riker was doing. Could have blown up... uh, um, Worf spot just outed him while he was doing his recon work. It it's such yeah. it's such a subtly stupid moment because it's it's on the surface it's kind of like clever you know Riker's thinking things through is like all right if Q did this and he wants us to be a challenge and we're mismatched this way then the logical conclusion is this and it's like all right you know these characters are thinking but. Really, he's nobody's thinking because it's such a dumb thing to do. Um, yeah, it slips by you. It does, which it speaks to how minor it is. I don't know why. I love complaining about these minor things, but man, man, that was weird. No, I, this show should really be striving to to be better than this, I guess. Right, and it's so. this comes in an episode with a whole bunch of other um, similar complaints. So yeah. it's. At home, I guess. But follow, yeah. following this engagement where Riker draws the attention of the soldiers and um, the Enterprise crew comes out ahead, they win, um, Q teleports everybody but Riker back to the Enterprise, which is where they, they report their findings to Picard. And Riker and Q share scenes together. No, 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 I, wait, just one correction. Does not, isn't it Riker that teleports everyone back to the bridge? No, because this is before he has his powers, I oh, think? Oh, yeah, this is before, yeah, right, right. No, he, he gives him the powers, but then he teleports, then Q teleports him back to the bridge, and then then they're all put back on the planet again. That's right, right. yes. It's, there's a lot of back and <laughs> forth here. <laughs> But right. the, okay. the, this is where we get the crux of the episode, that Q wants to recruit Riker to become a member of the Q Continuum because of the Q Continuum's interest in humanity. They want a human member to like explain uh, human curiosity and hunger mm-hmm. for knowledge, and, you know, their attitude, so they can better understand it. Um, and this is where the episode completely goes off the rails for me, and people stop That's acting good, yeah. like anything resembling themselves or starfleet officers because <laughs> the the enterprise's chief mission is one of exploration and um finding new things in the galaxy new races making new relations 
there, an invitation to them to join the Q continuum should be like the most intriguing offer they've ever heard. Um, Absolutely. They should be completely on board with opening up relations with not only this new race, this new species, but one from that, that is extra dimensional. Um, and instead of seeing this as an opportunity for growth or discovery, the, the two things that the Q continuum praises humanity, humanity for in this episode, <laughs> they just take it as like an extremely insulting, antagonistic uh, offer and throw it right back in Q's face. Right, they're they're mad because Q got one over on them. Right, last time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and not only that, but um, Riker has to become someone he is absolutely not in order for the conflict to even work. Right, which that's going to ramp up in 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 future scenes, but from the beginning, in record time too. Oh, record time. But from the beginning, absolutely nobody is even entertains the thought of of breaking bread with the Q continuum. It's it it just harkens back to every bad thing Q said about humanity in, in Encounter at Farpoint, and it's like, yeah, Q's right. <laughs> Q Q is absolutely right. Um, yeah, and, and, and so like and. <sighs> The interesting thing is, like, we're almost treated to something that's, like, morally ambiguous in this episode where he has the chance, Riker has the chance to save a little girl that's dead, right? Right. With his Q powers. But because of the agreement he made with Picard, he can't do it. The agreement um, being to not use not his use powers, powers at all. Right, right. Because he doesn't really Which, accept them from Q, but Q bestows him with them anyway. Yeah, he's just kind of stuck with them. Uh, which is which is kind of funny, but yeah, all things considered, Picard just kind of seems like he's, I don't know, uh, like like he feels a little left out or something. Yeah, he's like kind of fussy. Yeah. So what is what is the order of events here between Riker getting his powers and the second time the crew is beamed down to the not beamed but transported oh, okay. down to the planet? So that's. That's before that's before they have the discussion about not using his powers because they get beamed down to the planet. Um, Along Wesley with, is killed, I was gonna say Wesley shows up for the first time. I don't even think he was in yeah. the episode before this, but they just beam him down too. Like, yeah, all right. Um, yeah, he he gets. We're treated to a, a very very slow Wesley death. Oddly violent. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then Riker just teleports them all to the bridge. He gets very mad and teleports them all to the bridge while screaming with like a tiger uh, uppercut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, everyone's still alive. Everyone's back to life again, thanks to somehow. Riker. Thanks to Riker. But, and then, then Picard and he have a discussion. Yeah, I, I don't want to gloss over this. There are scenes of both Worf and Wesley getting impaled with a with um uh. What do you call that? Like bayonet. Knife, bayonet. There you go. With a bayonet, and Worf is not so gory, but Wesley, you see it like pop out the other side of him, and like blood spurting around. <laughs> yeah. It was. <laughs> I can't recall another moment that violent throughout the 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 run of TNG. It's... Yeah, neither can I. And it's a kid. It's a, right. It's a kid getting stabbed. 
like jeez and when they teleport them back and everybody's fine like wesley's like kind of uh groping at the spot where the the bayonet had entered him which mm-hmm. means that he retains and throughout the rest of the series retained his experience of dying and getting stabbed <laughs> which is never brought up again how traumatizing yeah, that might yeah, be true. It's kind of a footnote. Yeah. Wesley fucking died canonically. That's crazy. Yeah. So I mean this kid has a lot of crazy shit happen to him though, so he's probably just desensitized now. It's and there's also like another very another very silly moment for him coming later on in this episode. Is there? No, there is. Oh, there is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so ha- we might as well fast forward to uh to Riker um after getting angry, he gets angry that he doesn't save the kid. Right. He gets angry that he stuck to his agreement with Picard and, it's, and didn't save the kid. Let's, let's, I don't want to fast forward too much because there's a very weird line where they're at the the, the site where they're helping the, the people impacted by the disaster that their main mission was. And, <laughs> you know, they're like tending to them. They throw a bunch of styrofoam rocks off this kid who's dead. And they're like, Riker, you have the Q power. You should help. You should revive her. Bring her back from the dead. And Riker, yeah. Riker says, I can't do that because of a promise. And it makes no reference to what the promise was or with whom. Um, does not explain it to anybody. And then just leaves that dead kid there. Yep. Yep. Which... Yeah, a little bit of a half-baked scene there. It is. And it's like... Riker, what did you think this promise was about? That that this is going to cause your heel turn? It's like, I, I, I promised not to use my powers. And then I didn't use my powers. Oh, I'm so angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like he didn't know what he was getting into. Right. And, uh, you know, conveniently within, what, three minutes of making that promise, he's confronted with um, just, just the literal worst thing he could possibly be confronted with in the face of that promise, which is a dead child. Literal life or death. It, it's, all, it's all just a little bit too convenient. It is. It is. And, and then he gets mad. Then he gets mad, and um, not just mad, he gets, like, full of himself all of a sudden. Yeah, he's... Without any provocation, he's he's suddenly, like, he suddenly thinks he's, he's you know, like, the shit, right? Yeah, he starts calling Picard Jean-Luc... Um, he dis he like disregards his captain's authority, walks away from him while he's while the captain's talking, um, just completely disassociates himself from his job as 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 a crew of the Enterprise, and there's really no explanation for this, um, at all, because it's not. It would like- make sense if if he got like a taste of his power. You know what I mean? You know, like build yeah. it up, right? Yeah, but he, he- doesn't even. Use- again he uses it to save everyone and then that's it and it's it's not like the antagonism between him and picard you're right uh between him and picard it's not like Riker wanted to save that kid and picard explicitly told him no at that time creating like a resentment and pushing those two characters apart it was a mutually agreed upon thing that like Riker just gets pissy about and takes out on picard for no reason i the only thing i could think of is like if the Q continuum's powers works like the one ring and it just absolutely corrupts everybody who comes into contact with it. Within like minutes. Within um, minutes. I, I did I did wanna actually 
uh, move back to that that scene with the kid um, okay. and Crusher and and everyone because uh, I had something written down which which I kind of glossed over, um, and that's Crusher's line where she looks at at Riker and says, "Certainly you can't bring her back to life." <laughs> I and I don't that. think I need to explain why that's stupid coming from Crusher, uh, who brought one of one of the uh, the black aliens back to life just a couple episodes ago. That's amazing. I was I was yeah. so busy focusing on like that that child actor moving around while pretending to be dead that I, <laughs> the impact of that line was lost on me. Yeah, yeah. I I just thought that was really really beautiful. It is just. Just wonderful writing. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure how we get to point A to B where Riker's fission from the crew um, inspires him to give them all their most desired thing in the galaxy. Because that's that becomes his next thing. He's like, I'm going to use my powers for good and I'm going to give you all what you want the most in life. Well, Q shows up in his in his monk outfit, right? Um, and I I can't imagine if if Christianity's not dead by now, I can't imagine it's you know anywhere close to the form it used to be. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering where Q got got the information on on like medieval monks such that he was able to create his own costume for them. Well, the thing is that Q is omniscient, except when it's funnier for him to make a mistake. So yeah. in this case, I mean, I guess it was Shakespeare. Were there were there monks in Shakespeare? Many Shakespeare plays. Yeah, I think there was like a friar in Romeo and Juliet. Okay, yeah, all right, but, but you know, it's not like he would get like visual cues from that though. So that's uh, true. He is a very visual cue for what it's worth. <laughs> um, so Beautiful. Q shows up, and this becomes like a like a confrontation between Q and Riker and the crew of the enterprise and through, yeah. through some dialogue that I do not remember Riker becomes inspired to showcase his powers. And uh, like I said, give everybody something that they want the most and somehow, and I'm not quite sure of this Picard knows exactly how this is going to go. Um, yeah. Despite it being so unfathomable and, um, like such an unrealistic thing that nobody could have ever planned for, Picard knows exactly what's about to transpire, and very arrogantly is like, "All right, Riker, do it. Show us what you got. <laughs> it's like it's, make our lives better, asshole. I dare you." Um, and the the scene plays out. Before we get into it, though, it's this scene. I think was one of the ones that went under the most changes. Um, between how it was originally envisioned and what we ended up getting. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, because this scene was supposed to be a lot longer. Instead of like just knowing um, what everybody wanted the most, just from, I guess, prior experiences with them, Riker was supposed to use his powers to probe the, the thoughts of, of everybody in front of him on the crew. And it was supposed to be like kind of an invasive process, like Riker forcing his way into their minds to help them. And it's like, oh, you're causing them psychological trauma, but I'm doing it to give them something that they want. It's like, oh, you know, it's um, kind of a moral thing there. But the cool part of it was that every character's uh, inner mind, their psychology was going to be filmed in like a stylistically unique and surreal way. 
um, such that, you know, Picard's mind would look very new, but it would look very different from Yar's mind, It's in from Worf's, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it was, it was going to be uh, the juxtaposition of two things, like, what it looks like inside their psyche with Riker exploring in there and finding, like, the sources of their desire and pleasure, and then cut back to the real world where the characters are, like, kind of struggling and trying to resist because of how unpleasant it was kind of like a like a psychological rape in some kind of way and it, it sounds rapey it, it does which was obviously it's Riker, so you know it makes sense <laughs> yeah but it, that that how dirty and uncomfortable that was to watch combined with Riker's like altruistic motivation that was like the the thrust of that scene why it was supposed to be so enticing Right, um, right, but right. because of how long that would take to shoot and the budget of like constructing all these unique sets and, and, and filming it in unique ways to create the surreal style, um, we just didn't have time or money for it. Um, if it had been a two-parter episode, I, I think we could have made it work, like used the budget for the next episode too and kind of separate this one into two parts. And it's kind of a big story. So I could... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like the last time Q was around, it was a two-parter, but... That was the thing. Like, Delancey, super insistent. He didn't want to be involved in, in another, what he, quote, long bullshit leftover shoot after the first time he filmed a two-parter with us. He just could not keep his attention focused for that long to do two episodes yeah. at a time. So yeah. everything got rushed. All this uh, inspired uh, direction and storytelling got cut. And what we get is... I... I I don't even know how to describe the scene where Riker just tells people the thing that they want the most and just makes it happen. Um, starting with Wesley Crusher, who... Yeah, which is the, he gets treated to a, a very unfortunate aging up. Um, I mean, not unfortunate for the character, unfortunate for the actor uh, as we see him today. <laughs> yes. It... it, it what Wesley wants most apparently is to be an adult and Riker's like, all right, Wesley snap, you're 10 years older than you are now. You're a man. And, um, they get like this kind of hunky mullet guy to, to be adult Wesley crusher. Yeah. He looks, he looks like the kind of guy who's like, uh, his, his main job is, is, uh, is being like a, like a men's magazine model. Yeah. He looks like, like he doesn't speak English and they just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like um, Arnold at the beginning of his career. Which that theory is further supported by by the fact that they dubbed over his lines with, with with Will. Yeah, why to have Will Wheaton's voice come out of, or rather, teenage Will Wheaton's voice come out of um, what's essentially like a model. Is I mean, to have Will Wheaton's voice come out of. Yeah, you, you didn't you didn't need to really true supplement that with but, any, but any extra adjectives. The cognitive dissonance here is is real. Um, yeah but it's funny because like the way this is shot you have like uh dr crusher and wesley crusher in in a two shot and then like bam uh wesley is 10 years older and nobody really reacts to it they're just like "Uh okay this is kind of strange well well, he says looking good wes he does (laughs) (laughs) yeah jordy's got got a lot of um a lot of come ons <laughs> he does well i didn't even put those two together but yes he does 
I think Jordy's a little horny this episode. He is. So I think the next one up is Jordy, or is it Worf? Um, I don't remember the sequence. I think it's Jordy, and it's kind of the most obvious thing. What would Jordy want? Um, probably to to be able to see. So Riker's yeah. like, my friend, you can now see, and he takes off. It's very Jesus-like, and he takes off. Um, after laying hands on him, he takes off Jordy's visor, and Jordy's eyes are no longer like clouded white. He can see. Mm-hmm. First thing that that Jordy says is, "Quote, you're as beautiful as I imagined." Robbed of context, who who would you think that he said that line to? On that bridge, I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, maybe. What? <laughs> um so he says that to yar of all people tasha yar and um i i don't really have much of a story about this but i want everybody at home to know that on set we found that line as funny as you did when you watched it yeah. at home <laughs> and, and not only on set but i also wrote this down as i watched the episode of something to bring up yeah um it's just why so, and it also begs the question, if if um, Jordy is in a position to comment that Wes is looking good as, as an adult, <laughs> then how is he also in a position to be like, well, I could only imagine how beautiful you are, but wow, you really are beautiful. Like, either he knows or he doesn't. Yeah. And um, to, to fix this, yeah. you just had to have another character say either of those lines. It would have been so simple. <laughs> the the thing I don't get is that uh, I can't remember if it was an episode before this one or if it's a, an episode we have yet to watch, but I know there's a scene where Jordy talks about how his lack of sight is actually like a gift because he can see things on a spectrum that other people can't. Yeah, that often comes you know up. And his his so making 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 him be able to see without the visor is really kind of just not a very creative wish, is it, for, for the character? It's, I, that never struck me as, like, he has always wanted to see. Like, it doesn't come off of his character. No. And I think they initially workshopped Riker making Geordi white in this scene. Yeah, it was... But I think, I think we eventually felt it was just, like, a little bit too on the nose. Exactly. There, the, the problem with that was the dialogue writing around it. Like, you can like bring that idea up, and I think most people will kind of get it. But yeah, to have the characters comment on it in a way that's not too direct and um, forcing it, that was a lot more mm-hmm. difficult. Oh yeah, and I mean, like eventually, it was going to follow the same kind of path where you know, in this one, Jordy says, "Please put me back to back to the way I used to be." Mm. You know, because he's he realizes that, you know, it's, it's his imperfections that, that make him who he is, you know? So in the same way, Riker was going to make him white and he was going to say, you know, like, despite all of the, the challenges I face, um, as an African-American, you know, just, just, just put me back, you know? It's, um, it's very similar to, to Data's interaction with him where he's like, Data, I'll make you human. And Data's like, right, right. No, I can't do this. That's actually, Data's the one who follows, uh, um, Wesley. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. And you know, I don't know if I'm convinced by Data's reaction to it, because that is all he wants. That's that is literally what he wants is to become human. I I think there's comments of this later on, 
in the, the series run where Data's like, the journey of, of understanding humanity is kind of the point. Um, no, it was, the, it was the friends we made along the way. Yeah, but the point is that he that's something he would say after being on this journey for how, for however long. Um, mm. That's where it's, it's almost like kind of coping with with the fact that uh, he has to be on said journey for so long. It might be a cope, but it's the point is that's not the level of introspection you have in season one. You know, it's not. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't make that comment this early. So, well, to be fair, he's been active for what two years. Yeah, I mean, he goes to the academy canonically. So it might be. I'm sure he has time to come to terms with it. I guess. I guess. But point is that he turns down Riker's help, and um, I think a lot of it was weird because, like, with Wesley, they're like, "No, we need to get Wesley out of here. Wesley, leave the room." And in the middle of those protests, Riker just turns him into an adult. Whereas Data's Mm -hmm. like, "Riker, don't do it. Don't do it." And he doesn't do it. And he doesn't do it. (laughs) Well, I guess it would have just like taken a little too much time with the makeup or whatever. Yeah, you have to scrub it all off with the sponge, put it all back on, and then put it back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So rather rather than kind of just have that that flat turn me back kind of scene, yeah, it just didn't bother with it at all. Because you would have had a turn me back scene like four times in a row. <laughs> I thought it was really funny that Worf's greatest wish was just to have sex so good i i love i love that moment i think it's really stupid um of course but i i do love just how it plays out so he's like wharf you're you're alone there's no other klingons here i know what your greatest wish is and he um teleports a, a klingon woman kneeling at Worf's feet the two of them proceed to snarl at each other fight and Worf like tosses the woman down on the ground and i think it's jordy comes in is like Worf this is, is this is your view of sex and Worf's like this is sex <laughs> like really angrily too yeah he's angry about the fact that he's uh somehow I guess in some form having sex on the bridge of the Enterprise <laughs> but ultimately Worf is able to to keep his pants on and he's like no Riker I will not have sex in the Enterprise or yeah what? he's uh He's, he's a vol cell. He's a vol cell. It's, yeah, like, I, th- I don't know if this is supposed to be a, sh- a greater a sign of um, their emotional strength to resist these temptations or a sign of how little Riker knows about his crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you could interpret it that way, couldn't you? You could. It's um, it's really just like no, I, I didn't want this. What are you talking about, Riker? I'm allergic to sex. You know this about <laughs> did, me. Did Yar get a scene? Yar did not get a scene. I don't believe. Neither did um huh. did uh, Picard. Otherwise, the genre. Right. But um, oh, we got a real Riker over here. That's the thing, though. Going back to Picard, Picard like foresees all of this happening. Where he's just completely okay with this, where he's like Riker. Yeah, he, he's he's so sure of of just like the, the moral faculties of the rest of his crew that he can be so arrogant as to just say, "Okay, go ahead and do it." And it's not even clear like why the crew should 
be resisting this. Yeah. Like, this episode is written from the point of view that everything the Q do are evil. And it, it just we should f- oppose it uniformly. Um, but it, yeah, and it never shows that. No, never. Ever. Which is why my point earlier about them, they should be trying to cooperate and learn from this partnership that's been offered to them. Because there's nothing inherently immoral about it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's literally just, it's humanity's dream, isn't it? But I, I think I think there's kind of a throwaway line about how humanity, Picard says something about how like, humanity's not ready for it yet. Or something. Um, which, which I, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's an argument for there. Maybe, but like, I, I, all the humanity talk completely just um, passes me by because I don't see anything in Star Trek that differentiates humanity from any of the other races. Um, I don't see anything resembling humanity in this episode. Well, there's certainly that, but it's like, why, why do the Q fascinate themselves with humanity instead of um, the Romulans or any other number of countless species? Cause, right, right. Because they're all out there. They're all exploring. They're all exploring. They've all come together to make this federation. Um, it's it, it it's just really hollow to me that um, humanity is just the mo- most important race in the galaxy. Like they're the only ones capable of what growth, curiosity. What is it about them that's so unique? That's, right. that's enthralling the Q. Right. Right. Yeah. And I. I think we're probably going to be end the, ending up beating this drum over and over and over again uh, throughout many episodes. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not going to blame them for having a human focus when the you know the entire staff and audience obviously entirely humans. Like I, right. I, I get people. I don't, I don't think the Klingons watched this show. No, no, um, it's still beaming over there. Eventually, in several light thousands, millions of light years, they'll get it. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the. Mm. the the twitter sphere will be angry that day <laughs> but um yeah it's a lot of sci-fi has this problem dealing with humanity's role in a, a larger galaxy in a way that's not contrived to make them feel special um, mm-hmm. sometimes people just don't concern themselves with that but it's it's if you just imbibe a lot of sci-fi across whatever medium, you'll you'll find a recurring issue with this. So it's not even unique to Trek. Yeah, yeah, it's just I get it. It's annoying. It but is. In any case, we can we can probably leave that there because we're gonna bring it up again in like two episodes. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> um, uh, ne- next we have a comprehensive rundown of what a flim flam is. Which is notable because this is, I think, the one time somebody has said, like, a colloquialism, and it was somebody other than Data to question what it means. Um, Picard calls Q a flim-flam to Riker. He says he's a flim-flam, man. Um, Yes, yes. Yes, and Worf is just standing next to uh, Yar, and he's like, flim-flam? Very, very good use of screen time. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that it was there. So ultimately, Q gets his comeuppance when Riker realizes that he, the things he's been giving the Enterprise, like crew, they don't want it. He's not really using his power as well. And just in 
just from that, he's like, oh, I've been a real idiot, haven't I? And Picard's like, yeah, <laughs> retard. <laughs> and Picard's victory just feels so unearned here. Right, Picard did nothing this episode. Nothing. Um, not, only, not only, like, he didn't do anything. Riker basically solved all of this on his own uh, and really shouldn't have even been in this position to begin with because why would his character suddenly start acting like a complete asshole? It's just, God, it just, it makes no sense. None of it makes any sense. And then Q just disappears. It's like, bye. Well, Q is apparently uh, hauled off by the rest of the Q continuum for... Right, right. I don't exactly know why. Like, they made a wager, and the wager was dumb and contrived in the first place, but it's like, all right, you'll stop meddling with humanity. And Q's like, no, I want to meddle. And then the Q continuum's like, get out of there, Q. You you fucked up for the last time. And yeah, and then Q screams as he's being teleported away. Q really deserved it for trying to open up a channel of communication between two species. Yeah, God forbid. What an asshole. Now, I do want to posit uh, a really easy way to just correct this episode. Okay. And that's, um, Q shows up on the bridge, gives Riker the powers, just gives him the powers. Doesn't play the game, and then the rest of the episode is Riker contending with the agreement that he made with Picard to not use the powers. Yeah. And he slowly, over time, becomes resentful of making that agreement. This episode, that concept would work so well as, like, played out over several missions that the Enterprise has. It's like, yeah. uh, first we gotta go help these people, and then we're dealing with, um, uh, like, a, a prime directive issue on some other planet, and then somebody's in danger from a tar monster, and, like, all this stuff. And, like, through, <laughs> throughout all these varied situations, Riker's, like, more and more tempted to um, use his powers, and it's, he has various moral conflicts, and, like, that's the entire episode is his morality and his ethics. I don't, I don't even I don't even think you need to do like a, a multiple mission type thing because, you know, for budget reasons, that would never happen over a 40 minute time span. But true, but it, it establishes uh, time, which I think is the most important thing here. Well, I think I think just having just having um, a conflict that's heavy enough, kind of like a ticking time bomb type scenario mm. uh, would, would be enough to um, you know, over the course of the episode, create that rift between him and Picard. Okay. Where, you know, right, just let me just, you know, I'm going, I, I like, I should use my powers here. So, and Picard is staunchly anti-Q. So, how about this? How about, um, that's the conflict of the episode, Picard not wanting Riker to use his powers, and, uh, Q, like, goading him into doing it in some ways, giving him the chance to, and the big conflict at the end is like where Riker's confronting um, this quandary that he's been dealing with and he makes the decision like, all right, I'm not going to use my powers. Hugh shows up. He's like, ah, oh, humanity is not ready for this thing. I've been, I've given them, takes it away, leaves to, to rediscuss things. With the Q continuum that uh, humanity's not quite where they thought they were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, something like that would work. It's it, you don't have to betray anybody's characterization. Um, you don't need anything ridiculous, and you really focus on what matters, which in Star Trek is more of ethics than it is animal people, animal things. Yeah, yeah, animal things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so um, we've just written a much better Star Trek episode than the one we watched. Yeah, I mean, good job, man. The the premise was there, kinda, and uh, it was. Then it fell apart. I was saying, yeah, it is there, but yeah, it's just a very shoddily written episode. Do do we want to talk about how flat Q's hair is the first time he appears? It's like I did not notice that. Strangely, flat and greasy, and then he pumps it up like usual for the rest of the episode. I, I didn't notice that at all. Well, that's, that's, all, back. that's all there is to say about that. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up for our thoughts on Hide and Q, Q and Seek. Which one is it? Ooh, Hide and Q. Maybe it's just Q and Q. <laughs> Maybe it's just Q, Q, Q. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, not a great episode. No, 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 not great. Not the worst, but really not one I would ever want to come back to despite Q's inclusion. Right. Inclusion. Um, oh, wow. So uh, let's let's move on to my little quiz for you for the week. I'm excited. I've been studying up, um, getting ready. I, I didn't want to embarrass myself again like last time where I got here. Have you been readier? Yeah. Not quite. I have, I'm not going to besmirch the readier name by uh, claiming I put as much time into it to be readier than simply ready. I think I think this week I'm just ready. Okay. All right. Well, I think you might have you might actually have a chance of getting this one. I love um, that. It's, it's a much much shorter one. It's going to be a fill in the blank. Okay. Okay. Um, single fill in the blank. Hmm. So this is from the movie Star Trek Insurrection. Okay. Okay. Uh, in one scene, Data turns to Worf and says, quote, have you noticed your, sorry, have you noticed that your blanks have started to firm up? Oh my god. Um, data to Worf. Data to Worf. Firm yep. up. Um, I am going to say that it's like something on his face, like his forehead. Uh, like some kind of muscle in his Klingon forehead that is part of his pr- uh, prosthetic. Um, uh, frontal lobes, I'll say. Oh, no, no. Damn. It's, it's, not, it's not on his face. Uh, I, I can give you another shot if you want. Uh, well, obviously, uh, if it's not on his face, then uh, the obvious answer to me is that it's still part of Worf's physiology, but it would be like his muscles. Um now it could be like his biceps, his lats, his abs. Maybe it's abs. Um, I don't. I don't. I do not know the context of this line at all. Um, <laughs> now I'm trying to think. Is there anything it could be that's not Worf's body? You're gonna I mean, have to think outside the box just a little bit here. Okay. What if Worf is like growing plants, and they're coming along? <laughs> It's like, oh, Worf, your tomato vines are really starting to firm up. It's starting to firm up. Yeah. It's... Well, that's, that's a good guess. That's a good guess. I'll, I'll, um, I'll say it's, it's related to, like, some plant. I, obviously, if it's some Klingon plant, I'm not going to know the name of it, but I'll, right, I'll, right, right. I'll, I'll say no, it's, it's like a plant. Okay, all right. So here's the answer. Mm-hmm. Data turns to Worf and says, quote, have you noticed that your boobs have started to firm up? <laughs> I'm sorry? And the context of this is, if I'm remembering correctly, um, Troy asks Crusher this as the Enterprise enters, like, the atmosphere of some planet or something. And um, 
data data just just you know witnesses this interaction and then turns to Worf and asks him the same question. So, uh, what Troy asks Crusher if her boobs are firming up? Boobs are firming up, yes. How is that not just an extremely weird thing to say? Well, they're they're entering like a like a high pressure zone or something. Okay. And, and so, you know, given the pressure, you know, your boobs would firm up. Does does that happen? I mean, it's still a weird interaction. It's still a weird interaction. Maybe it does. I don't know. Oh, it's still a strange interaction. It is. And it, I would hope by that point in the series, because Insurrection was one of the later films, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, I would hope that Data would be beyond, like, being a speaking spell. Think so. You would think so. <laughs> um, All right, so... But, no. Worf's, Worf's boobs were not firming up. Do you know Worf's reaction? Uh, I don't remember Worf's reaction. Uh, well, I uh, I would hope that Worf would be like, yes, thank you for noticing. <laughs> and just take it completely in stride, as Worf is wont to do. It's uh, It's been a long time since I've rewatched Insurrection. So. Well, hopefully we can have a special readier edition of reviewing the Star Trek tng films at some point yeah yeah one day maybe one between day. seasons hey there we go perfect for the chronology yeah i'm very excited to have a whole 90 minutes to two hours of nitpicky complaints and sheer confusion <laughs> yeah yeah looking forward to it well i guess that's about going to do it for episode nine of the readier room i want to thank you all for joining us here this week where we share our stories share a little bit of our lives and come out a little chuckier on the other side so join us next week where we're going to cover episode 10 of season one of star trek next generation and until then everybody please stay ready the troublesome little man child consider that in the history of many worlds there have always been disposable creatures. Do you consider yourself superior to us? Should have told him to mind his own damn business. But I'll stroke the beard thusly. Do I not appear more intellectual? Beginning, 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 beginning.